The scripture reading for today is John 12, 7 to 8. John 12, 7 to 8, and again it's on the front of the bulletin. Then said Jesus, Let her alone. Against the day of my burying hath she kept this. For the poor always ye have with you, but me ye have not always. Our brother Dean is going to bring us a message and a question. Which God do you know? Good morning. I'm going to speak today about the character of God, and the question comes, which God do you know? We're going to use some common Bible stories to illustrate the point and ask us the question. First of all, we need to remember that God told us, For I am the Lord, I change not. Malachi 3.6 Again, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hebrews 13.8 Then we have the familiar words, The Lord looketh from heaven, he beholdeth all the sons of men. Psalms 33.13 From the place of his habitation, he looketh upon all the inhabitants of the earth. Psalm 53.2 God looketh down from heaven upon the children to see if there were any that did understand and that did seek God. This morning we will look into three well-known Bible stories for the specific purpose of learning about God's character. After all, if we are to spend eternity with God in heaven, we want to know what he is like, especially in light of the great controversy between Christ and Satan. We need to know, we must know, what is he all about? Three times in biblical history, he came down and wrote something on this earth with his own finger. Perhaps he will, we will see something again this morning for the first time. I believe it is fundamental to understand God's character and the great plan of salvation. And I believe our understanding of this subject has eternal consequences. If we are to one day stand on the sea of glass, as spoken of in the book of Revelation, if we are to sit with Jesus at that banquet table, well known from Revelation 19 in the heaven above, we must understand God's character and how and why he has made the plan of salvation to save mankind. It is the purpose this morning then to explore the three times in recorded scriptural history that God came down to this earth from the heavenly throne of the universe and wrote with his own finger. He injected himself into the affairs of mankind in a mighty way. The first of these events affected mankind for all eternity and for the history of the world forever to this very day. The second affected a mighty kingdom and the nation at that time. The third time affected a trembling fallen woman, but this had eternal consequences. So we start with Exodus 2 and onward. The first occasion starts in the scripture record of a basket on the River Nile in Egypt. In the basket was a baby. The inspired word tells us that Satan knew that a deliverer was to come to the children of Israel. The mighty Pharaoh, ruler of Egypt at the time, made it a decree that all babies of a male were to die. 
In fact, they were to be thrown into the river Nile. But at that time, there was a God-fearing mother, and she was inspired by God to do a very strange thing. She put her baby, her precious baby, in a waterproof basket that she had made from the reeds beside the river Nile and with pitch and floated the baby downstream. Now along the bank, she sent his sister to watch over the basket as it floated downstream. A strange story. Now along the bank, this basket floated down and down the river. Pharaoh's daughter found the baby who was crying and her heart was softened. The baby's sister rushed up to the, and asked, Would you like me to find a Hebrew woman to nurse the child? And the answer was, of course, yes. So now the angel, who had been under the orders from God, had turned the tables. The baby who was under a death sentence was now under the protection of Pharaoh, the very one who was to kill him. This is in itself a mighty miracle from God. The story rapidly unfolds. God had a plan unknown to all the humans involved in these amazing events. The baby Moses' mother was now able to raise him, and she instilled in him a knowledge of the God of the universe. Pharaoh's daughter asked if she would raise him until he's about 12 years of age. In those days, of course, there was no Bible as we know it. It was yet to be written. In fact, the first part of our present scripture Bible was later to be written by this baby when he grew to manhood. The mother of the baby instilled in him eternal principles, the story of creation, the story of Adam and Eve, the fall of mankind, the entrance of sin into the world. Moses had to leave his mother when he was about 12 years old. Can you imagine her agony? And he went into the courts of Egypt under the previous agreement with Pharaoh's daughter. There he was schooled in the religion and heathenism of Egypt. Back home, his mother was praying and praying and praying that this same angel was watching over these events. Moses was now a man, and God revealed to him that he would be the chosen to be the deliverer of the children of Israel who were in bondage to Egypt. He had been schooled in the Egyptian hierarchy. He had been schooled in their heathen worship. Moses thought that God would have him do this by force to raise an army to do it as a warrior, but God had another plan. Moses had a very bad temper, you see. According to Scripture, one day he saw an Egyptian beating up one of his fellow Israelites. He was quickly went to the rescue and the Israelite of his Israelite brother and killed the attacker. At this time, Moses was being groomed to be Pharaoh in the place of the current Pharaoh. When he would pass the scene, Moses was to be Pharaoh. After this event happened, uh, Pharaoh found out what had happened and planned to kill Moses. So Moses escaped into the wilderness, into the desert surrounding the countryside. For 40 years, the scriptures tell us, he was in this desert in the mountains tending sheep. A mighty warrior tending sheep. Through a miraculous event, God called Moses back to Egypt, for the old Pharaoh was now dead. Moses was able to rise up and lead his people out of Egypt in what we know as the great exodus. Scripture clearly, clearly tells us Moses chose to suffer affliction with the people of God rather than in, to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. He could have been Pharaoh himself in the greatest palace on earth at that time with all that that entailed and all the gold and the silver that would have been his. I have a friend who's now resting in Jesus, 
a great preacher of the gospel, the name of Morris Vinhan. He made a trip to Egypt, to the Holy Land, and he was taken in to see a mummy in the land of Egypt. You know, these mummies are thousands of years old there. They explained to him that this mummy he was looking at was the pharaoh that took the place of Moses at that time. Moses instead had followed the command of God to go and set the Israelites free. God was watching over and guiding everything. The scriptures tell us that Moses was taken to heaven shortly after he died up on Mount Nebo. He later was to meet Jesus, came down from heaven to meet Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration to encourage him just after Gethsemane, just before Jesus went to the cross. So here we find Moses, that day that the evangelist went to see the mummy, Moses looking down from heaven, watching over our friend the evangelist, staring down at a mummy that could have been Moses himself. Again, I emphasize, God was watching and guiding over everything. Inspiration tells us that there was a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night in the sky to remind the people of Israel that God was leading them into the desert and then into the promised land with Moses as their leader. Through all this, Moses had developed such a relationship with God that he chose Moses to give to mankind his greatest eternal principles for us to live by. And so the people came to Mount Sinai, and God spoke to Moses up on top there, and told him he must come up to Moses, must come up to the mount to meet him. Let us read some amazing words written by Moses himself. These words are taken from Exodus chapters 19, 20, and 22. And the Lord said unto Moses, Lo, I come unto thee in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with thee, and believe thee forever. That's down to our time and beyond. And Moses told the words of the Lord unto the people. And it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mount and the voice of the trumpet exceedingly loud and that all the people that was in the camp trembled. And Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire and smoke. And the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace and the whole mount quaked greatly. I love to suggest that we all go there this morning and stand with the children of Israel and hear and see the smoke and the trumpet. And the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder. Moses spoke, and God answered him by a voice. And the Lord came down upon the Mount Sinai on the top of the mount, and the Lord called Moses up to the top of the mount, and Moses went up. And God spake all these words, saying, And then he gave to Moses the Ten Commandments, as we have them in our Bible today. And he gave unto Moses, when he had made an end of the communing with him upon Mount Sinai, two tables of testimony, tables of stone written by the finger of God. And the tables were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God graven upon the tables. And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face as a man speaketh unto his friend. What a privilege Moses had. And so the scripture record tells us that God gave Moses the principles that we are to live by in dealing with our creator and dealing with our fellow men. God gave us these eternal principles to live by, not to be saved, but because we are saved when we obey them. 
These same principles we will live by in that heaven above, one day when Jesus takes us all home with him. And we have the promise from 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and the dead in Christ shall arise first. And then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet them in the air. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. The second glimpse of God is taken from Scripture from Daniel chapter 5. Belshazzar, a grandson of the mighty king Nebuchadnezzar, had taken over the kingdom of Babylon, the mightiest nation on earth at the time. The king knew of his grandfather's life, his humiliation and his fall and his restoration to power, and his conversion to the true God of heaven. You know, Nebuchadnezzar actually wrote part of Daniel. You know that. This is all recorded in the book of Daniel chapter 5. He ignored his history. He reveled in his own power and arrogance. Many were his opportunities to follow the divine will. The culmination of his life was to be a disaster. He decided to have a feast which turned into an orgy. Orgy. He invited all the main people of his kingdom to a party. They came and had a wild party. Let us read about that from the, from the, uh, that, the mighty king of old Babylon, who though he could defy the God of heaven, from Daniel chapter 5. The tragedy here is that the king knew the history of his grandfather and still went on a rampage against Almighty God. So reading from Daniel chapter 5, Belshazzar the king made a great feast to a thousand of his lords and drank wine before the thousand. Belshazzar, while he tasted the wine, commanded to bring the golden and the silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple, which was in Jerusalem, that the king and his princes and wives and concubines might drink therein. Then they brought the golden vessels that were taken out of the temple of the house of God, which was at Jerusalem, and the king and his princes and his wives and his concubines drank in them. In that same hour came forth fingers of a man's hand and wrote over against the candlestick upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Then the king's countenance was changed into his thoughts, and his thoughts troubled him, so that the joints of his loins were loosed, and his knees smote one against the other. What a picture. What a word picture. The king cried aloud to bring in the astrologers, and the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers. And the king spoke and said to the wise men of Babylon, Whosoever shall read this writing, and show me the interpretation, there will be clothed with scarlet, and of a chain of gold about his neck, and shall be a third ruler in the kingdom. Then came in all the king's wise men, and they could not read the writing, nor make known to the king the interpretation thereof. Then was King Belshazzar greatly troubled, and his countenance was changed in him, and his lords were astonished at him. Now there was a queen in the kingdom who remembered a person from the old kingdom. She came into Belshazzar at the feast and said, There is a man in the kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of thy father, meaning grandfather, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods was found in him. And then was Daniel brought in before the king. 
Shall we remember at this moment that in those days, one wrong word and the king would cut off your head? The king asked who he was, and Daniel confirmed that he was Daniel. He offered him a scarlet robe and a chain of gold for his neck and to be a third ruler in the kingdom. (laughs) Daniel knew better than that. And Daniel answered and said, Let thy gifts be to thyself and give thy rewards to another at the risk of his own life. Yet I will read the writing unto the king and make known to him the interpretation. There follows one of the most amazing stories in Scripture, where Daniel stood before that mighty king and told him of his failure and told him that he did not learn from his grandfather, King Nebuchadnezzar. And he went on to say these words from Scripture, And thou, his son, O Belshazzar, has not humbled thine heart. Thou knewest all these things, but was lifted up against lifted up thyself against the Lord of heaven, and thou hast praised the gods of silver and gold and brass and iron and wood and stone, which see not nor hear not nor know, and the God in whose hand thy breath is and whose are all thy ways hast thou not glorified. Daniel was not afraid. Then was the part of the hand that sent from him with this writing was written, And this is the writing that was written by the finger of God. Mini, mini, tiku, eupharsin. This is the interpretation of the thing. Mini, God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. Tiku, thou art weighed in the balances and art found wanting. Lastly, thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Daniel stood there unafraid. So God with his finger and hand wrote on the wall of that ancient palace the doom of the king of the, and his kingdom. This demonstrates that God has a limit when man is determined to put his pride and arrogance above recognizing God. When there is no hope left for repentance, God acts and he acts in a mighty way. The king's kingdom was destroyed that night. A foreign army, Medes and Persians, marched under the walls of Babylon on a dry riverbed that they had created and destroyed his kingdom, and King Belshazzar was slain. These words have always been true throughout history, then and now. Jesus says the invitation, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So we have a second character of God. There is a point in time in this great controversy when God says they've rebelled, they've not chosen me, it's time to act. The third part of our looking at the character of Jesus and of God. Long ago before the world was created in the courts of heaven, councils were held. God had foreknowledge of what Satan would do He knew that man would fall. He made provision for saving mankind. In the fullness of time, God sent his son to this earth. He was both the son of God and the son of man. He was as much God as though not man. And he was as much man as though not God. It is interesting that Jesus preferred to call himself the son of man, thus identifying himself even more closely with you and me. Other peoples called him the Son of God, as did Peter. Jesus called himself the Son of Man. 
His birth was a miraculous event. The angels did not announce it to the religious leaders of the day or the churches of the day, but to humble shepherds in the fields outside Bethlehem and also to the wise men who came afar 1,500 miles from the land of Iran to praise and honor the Christ child. He grew up in Nazareth. He had no special privilege except his God-fearing parents and his mother who taught him at her knee. At age of 30, he set off on his ministry, walking the dusty roads of Galilee and the Palestine, trying to tell everyone who would listen about his father and his father's undying love for mankind and about the plan of salvation to everyone who would believe. He tried to explain God's character. Let us read about a beautiful event that tells us about God's character. Remember, as we go through this story, the scripture tells us God was in Jesus, reconciling the world unto himself. The eternal Father was in Jesus, reconciling the world unto himself. God's vision of events on this earth is often so different than man's vision. Let us pick up the story from John chapter 8. And early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. So let's go there this morning and be there with the people Jesus was teaching. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. When they had set her in the midst of them, they said unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses and the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what sayest thou? What they didn't realize was God could read their thoughts. He knew what was underlying this. This they said tempting him that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down with his finger, wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him if they should kill her, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him cast the first stone at her. You see, Moses had commanded to stone people like this. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. But they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. What a beautiful picture of the character of God. So the religious leaders of the day brought this trembling woman, trembling woman to Jesus, trying to trick Jesus into condemning her. He saw through their evil schemes in the moment. With the frightened woman before him, he, he said nothing. He simply bent over and wrote his, on his, with his finger in the sand. And being convicted by their own conscience, the accusers went out one by one. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing in the midst. Is there a more powerful dynamic than forgiveness? I do not think so. Jesus had saved Mary's earthly life, but he had also set in motion events that were to take place to save her for eternity. God's character is fully revealed in this story. So for the third time in recorded history, God wrote with his finger on this earth. This time 
to save a trembling woman who had sinned. God, through Jesus, his son, wrote in the sand to save a frightened prostitute with these words, Woman, where are thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? Neither do I condemn thee, said Jesus. Go and sin no more. So what conclusions can we take from these three scripture, scriptures today? So we have the three events from Scripture that tell us of God's character. Three times in history God intervened in the affairs of men by writing with his own finger. Moses had the greatest privilege of talking with God one-on-one, face-to-face. Moses had learned to know his Lord so well that he communed with God and discussed events with God. And then God entrusted to him the Ten Commandments that come down to us to this very moment. God gave us a guide to live by, a guide to assure us and tell us how to live, how to treat our fellow men, so that in that final day we may have life eternal and those eternal principles are written with the very finger of God. The second event in the story tells us about the character of God. You see, God has no pleasure in the death of the wicked at the end of the world. Why would he have pleasure in seeing the beings he created have to die? God does not primarily destroy people in the end of time who reject him. He simply destroys sin that he must do so that the Bible says and predicts sin will not arise again in the new earth. If a person hangs on to sin and will not let it go, then God has no choice because sin cannot exist in the presence of God. So if one willfully holds on to sin, when God in the end decides that time is up, probation is over, and he must destroy sin to protect his universe, as our Bible tells us, this is the law of the universe. So this ancient Belshazzar had rejected God. He had every opportunity to understand God, to accept him. God saw that every thought of his heart was only evil continually. Evil had permeated not only his whole life, but his whole kingdom. Then came the bloodless hand that wrote on the wall of the palace, the finger of God. Here's something very interesting. Archaeologists have today discovered a palace room with plaster still on the walls that this has been found in old Babylon, and they believe this to be the very room where God wrote with his finger. Old Babylon, of course, is now the country we know as Iraq. God was willing to work with a heathen king to accomplish his purpose, Nebuchadnezzar, but Belshazzar had rejected this. God had no choice but to come down and write on the walls of that old palace with his own hand and his own finger. Oh, what could have been, but instead, meany, meany, tickle you, farson. God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. Thou art weighed in the balances and found wanting. Thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. And then some of the saddest words in all of Scripture. In that night, the king of Babylon was slain. So we see the character of God, first in giving us a guide to guide us to the eternal shores of the new Jerusalem. Second, we see God has a limit of forbearance for sin, exemplified by the story of Belshazzar. Now we come to the third and most precious. As we have found, Jesus saved Mary's earthly life by writing in the sand with his own hand that day. He also saved her for eternity. How do we know this? For you see, later in Scripture, we have this record. Jesus was visiting the house of Lazarus, Mary, and Martha, the same Mary. Now it came to pass, as they went 
that he entered a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister named Mary, the Mary we've just talked about, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about much serving and came to him and said, Lord, does not you, do you not care that my sister let me serve alone? Bid her, therefore, that she come and help me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part. Mary hath chosen that good part. He went on to say that this will not be taken away from her. My friends, what a promise of eternal life. What a promise of eternal life. God's character is really revealed in this event. God's character is fully revealed in these three stories. The finger of God writing on stone tablets giving eternal principles to guide us into the heavenly kingdom. The finger of God writing on that old palace palace in Babylon. Sin must be destroyed forever. If we insist on hanging on to it, God with tears in his eyes has no choice but to destroy us because we have sin in us. The wonderful news is that we have a choice. We have a choice to serve him. We can choose eternity with our creator if we only will. The finger of God writing in the sand of old Jerusalem saved Mary's earthly life. And Mary chose that good part by sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening to his wonderful words. She was later promised eternal life by these words. This shall not be taken from her. From Revelation 22 we have the following words. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it. And they shall see his face and their names, his name will be in their forehead. And there shall be no night there, and they shall need no candle, neither light of the sun. For the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. And he said unto me, These things are faithful and true. Behold, I come quickly. And my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. Do you have a question whether you will be there? At last, God has an answer for us from Micah 3.7. And they shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts, in that day when I make up my jewels. In that day when I make up my jewels. And John 1028, the words of Jesus. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Another version says, they will not steal them out of my hand. They shall not snatch them out of my hand. Amen. Amen. Eternal Father, we're so thankful this morning for the words of Scripture that tell us about you, your love, the great controversy, and that one day it will all be over. And you've promised us that in the heaven above, sin shall not rise a second time. Lord, on this earth now, as we go about our daily lives, may we share the good news with everybody we meet. And at last, may we be there at the banquet table when you call us to dinner, as recorded in Revelation 19, in Jesus' name, amen.